Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Data Bytes podcast. I'm your host, Sadie St. Lawrence. And today I'm super excited about our guest because it's been a much requested guest from our community. So I'm excited to introduce to you today, Kate, who is the founder and host of Dedicated, which has a host of things, a conference, an expo, on air with the podcast. And in addition, she has written four books, is currently writing a new book, Color for Data Storytelling, and is a mom of two and a runner. Welcome, Kate. Super excited to chat with you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sadie. Glad to be here. Yeah, so let's just dive in. Normally, you're the one behind the mic hosting all these exciting things. So I think that's why a lot of people in the community wanted to hear from you because I want to know what's your story? Like, how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. Happy to share. So it all started on a cold winter day over in Tajikistan, where I was born. I was actually born under a very different name, but I eventually changed my name to Kate uh, because it was a Russian name that was hard to pronounce when we came to America. But anyways, let's fast forward a little bit. I, I came to America when I was about nine years old, and that was my very first time ever in school of any kind. Um, so I did not speak the language and I did not know math. And for most people, that have a fourth grader or you know have been through fourth grade, you know that might be a little bit difficult to learn the language and learn math and science and everything else that comes your way. But I personally think that actually helped me later on in life because I always felt so behind, even when I wasn't, that I always had this urgency and this need to you know just be better and do better and work harder. Because early on in my life, I had to do that in order to pass the you know fourth grade. Um, so I carried that with me through college where I was really eager to start making money. I know a lot of people in college are like, yeah, well, who doesn't want to do that? I, I personally wanted to do that for, you know, independence and just earn my own living. So I expedited my four-year college degree where I was studying finance and communications and was able to complete it a year sooner. So I basically crammed like, so many credits um, in addition to working full-time. And uh, at some point I had internships as well, some paid, some unpaid that were um, also taking up some of my time. So fast forward to me now at 21, I actually got married at age 21. And that's the same month that I graduated college. So it was, it, it was in June, uh, it was a big month for me. And I remember people saying like, oh my God, but you're so young. In my mind, at that point, it all just made so much sense. I mean, best decision I ever made. But um, yeah, I studied, I studied finance in college and I graduated in 2009. Now, graduating with a finance degree in 2009 was not the easiest thing to do because there was this financial crisis where all the banks had a hiring freeze. And my ultimate goal in life at that point was to get a job in finance, whatever that meant, right, at a bank. Um, so that led me to start networking pretty heavily because I realized that all the resumes that I was sending out, all the applications I was filling out were either going into some dark hole that never, you know, it was never looked at, or, it, you know, there was just, there was a hiring freeze. So what's the point of even applying? Um, and I started networking for other roles. At that point, anything would do. Anything, an office job, you know, anything above a secretary. A secretary would have been fine as well. Just anything to get me out of the, uh, the bagel store I was working at at the time, which was a great gig, but really, I mean, you know, I wanted to earn a living. 
Um, so I was lucky enough, I started going to these events that, you know, they were free networking events, um, you get to meet people, exchange business cards, which I printed my own business cards at the time, uh, just for fun, so I can give them out. Uh, but I met, I met a guy who said he was looking to hire. And I told him, hey, I'm looking to work. And it was in business development for risk management. So we ended up sort of chatting a little bit and then I followed up the next day because you know we learn in school you have to do that follow-up um, and I just told him you know thank you it was great meeting you because I assumed you know he wasn't very serious I thought it was just the thing he said but he's like you know Kate where's the resume I'm really you know we're looking to hire like right now so I sent him my resume lucky enough I was hired and you know spend that next year selling risk management training um, and that's what got me my very next role, which was being a risk analyst for the chief risk officer of a bank. I uh, was trying to sell him training and ended up getting myself a job there. Um, so I worked there for a year. And at that point, I started a blog. And I think this is important for people to know because I, I do stress the power of content and social media. Um, so I started a riskarticles.com blog where I would blog about anything that I had to learn to do the job. Um, and they couldn't find an easy enough resource to follow. So I would read through regulations, um, some compliance reports, risk management concepts, and put out articles. Well, lucky enough, uh, some recruiter at Deloitte contacted me and said, hey, Kate, you look like you really love this stuff. Like you really are passionate about risk management. And I was like, yeah, this is, you know, this is what I do. And I was really passionate at that time. So she's like, come in for an interview. So now me growing up in Tajikistan, having all these, you know, obstacles in my mind that I would put my, you know, put in front of myself, I would never have even thought of going to a company like Deloitte and even applying or even looking at a role. So I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll interview. Why not? What's the worst that can happen? Well, I spent about, what is it? Eight and a half years there. So yeah, I, yeah, across a lot of different roles. Um, I, my last role there was the chief of staff for the head of the commercial business. So I kind of went across a lot of different roles there, started in risk management, but then about um, four or five years later, shifted into data analytics, um, fell in love with data visualization, data storytelling. And sort of at that same time, I started sharing my story on LinkedIn and YouTube and other social media platforms. And that's kind of how Datacated came to be, right? It was just through this whole history of knowing that blogging can help you get noticed, knowing the power of social media when I was trying to sell those risk management trainings, uh, and also just following great people online and watching their content, being inspired and thinking, hey, you know, I have a perspective on this. Why not share my own opinion? So that's, that's my story in a very long nutshell there. <laughs> no, I love it. And there's a couple of things I want to dive into in your story. So one... I love that you started a blog when you were learning things in the field. And I think that so many people think that they can start a blog or share information when they've reached like a pinnacle of expert. And I don't even know what that expert is. I don't think we even know in our mind, right? Like, I can't share something until I'm an expert in it. But that's almost too late because you're not sharing that information of what people need to know in that journey. So I'm curious, like, what gave you the courage to like to start to share that information out when you even admitted, like, I didn't even think I could have worked for a company like De Deloitte. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. I think I started it more for myself. I saw it as a very low cost option. I, you know, put my, my website together by myself. 
uh, using WordPress and it was probably like $10 a year to, to, um, to get the domain and the hosting was very cheap. So I basically gave myself permission to do it. I in no way thought anyone would ever read the content I put out there. It was really like, okay, I don't get it. Let me explain it to myself on paper. But then I'm not even sure why I decided to make a, like a, a blog on this. Um, I think it was just a way for me to refer to it later. I'm not sure what I was thinking at that time, but I'm very glad I did because people really found it useful. I even had a, a newsletter, like a risk management weekly newsletter that came out that kept me accountable. Um, people actually sponsored some articles. People had guest submissions come in and it sort of grew into a bigger thing that I actually sold um, at some point when I switched into data, I was able to sell this to uh, another person who was looking to, to build out a risk management blog. So it was, a, it was a success. It started as kind of an accidental hobby type thing and uh, ended up turning into something more. That's awesome. Yeah, and I love that even you sold that. It's almost, part of me sounds like you're almost a marketer and can build media companies in a way. You know, I think a lot of times people look at it with the subject matter you're in, but so much of the work is using social media, how you market that. Do you ever feel like, am I more of a marketer than a data person? Or how do you even balance the two of those? Yeah, so funny story. My husband was a double major and he was a finance slash marketing person. And I was like, oh, marketing? I'm like, why would you do that? <laughs> why would you study marketing? And then um, now I would say 90% of my job is marketing. So my the dedicated company, for those that might not be familiar with it, it's it's like a threefold company. One part is a media company. So I actually help um, vendors I either reach an audience or teach them a little bit about how to use LinkedIn or social media to actually build a brand. Um, the second part is the, the, the conference and expos, which is like LinkedIn Lives on a larger scale. Um, and then the third part is the dedicated academy where I actually teach data visualization, data storytelling, and so on. But yeah, I ended up being more on the marketing side. I still love data and I still love all things data. But now most of my job, I would say, is, is doing what you're doing right now, is talking to people um, and just getting to know different aspects of you know, data science, analytics. I go into now machine learning and AI and across all these different topics. And it's, it's really my most, my favorite job right now is just having these conversations. Yeah, no, I am in a lucky position as well because it is so fun to do. Yes. To, to meet new people. And now with everything being digital, we can connect with people we just didn't have access to before, which is really fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I would tell people out there, don't wait until you're at, again, some expert pinnacle. You can start to have these conversations now. Yeah, I think the last thing I'll say on this topic is a lot of people are thinking they either have to be at a certain level or they start asking themselves, well, what else do I have to say when, you know, 200 people are out there already saying it? And my, my thinking is that you have a unique perspective, no matter where you are in your career, if you're still in college, just graduated, first job, or if you have, you know, 45 years of experience, there's a different audience for each of those perspectives. So if you're just starting out and you're sharing like, wow, I messed up the code again, or my, you know, everything crashed and I had to start over. Well, trust me, there are people in the audience that are like, oh my God, me too. <laughs> like, I feel you I can relate to that. Not everyone wants to listen to someone who is just perfect and has, you know, X years of experience and just has everything together. Sometimes you want to be taken on a journey almost alongside with this other individual. A hundred percent. And I think 
our social media and just our world is craving more of that authenticity, right? Not the big PowerPoint deck of here's the full strategy and how we did it, right? No, tell me like when you cried on the stairs because your code wouldn't work for days and you thought you were going to get fired. Like get, yes. let's get to that point. Because <laughs> that's relatable. Yes, Because yes. we've all been there. Yeah, so I'm curious, how did the switch really with a more data focus happen? I know you're in finance, which obviously has a huge data focus and risk management, but then how did you start to really narrow in on analytics and now the breadth of topics with going into machine learning and AI? Where did that inspiration come from? So it actually wasn't inspiration at all. It was actually necessity. So Mm -hmm. I was expecting my first child. I have two girls. Um, so they're age five and six, we're almost five and seven. And this was right at the time where I was due, almost due. And I'm like, okay, I, my current job is consulting in risk management in finance, which meant I had to travel anywhere at any point at any time, nights, weekends, you know, nothing's off the table. And I simply did not want to do this. So I wanted to see my child grow up. So I remember I took several months and I was searching actively inside and outside of the company for any role that would keep me at home. So the only, the top need was work from home, everything else. And it was just way pre-COVID, right? Like now we're all doing it. And everyone's like, no, we need you in the office. I'm like, oh man, I could do all this from home, but it's that trust factor, right? So I ended up um, searching hard enough. I literally just messaged people, you know, you have a company directory, so I would just go to the company directory and, you know, there's hundreds of like thousands of people there. And I'm like, okay, this person has a, a, a title. Let's message them. It's an internal role. Maybe they'll let me work from home. So after all of that hustle, I ended up getting an inside strategy manager role at Deloitte and they gave me data. They gave me a data visualization tool and they said, well, this is the gig. You will come in once a month to do some, you know, lab work and in-person work. And I'm like, sold, I will do whatever it is. <laughs> and I remember getting really into it. It was, it was truly love at first sight because now it's almost, you know, it actually is seven years later and I'm still sort of obsessed with this uh, data field. But that, that really is when the switch happened where I'm like, okay, no more consulting, no more risk management. Uh, that's also when I sold off that other blog, that risk management blog, because I knew that this is my, my new passion and it's, you know, data analytics and there's just so much to learn in this space and it's changing so fast. And I absolutely love playing with all the new tools and even like programming languages. I, I tried a lot of different things um, and I don't see myself leaving this field for, for a very long time. That's good. No, I think a lot of us are excited to hear that because we definitely want more dedicated expos and conferences to attend. Um, one of the things that I was really surprised by was that the conferences and expos are rather new and just how rapidly they've grown. I think you shared on LinkedIn. Um, it was showing that with a couple other like well-established data conferences. And I won't mention any of the names, plus I don't remember the exact ones, but they were ones I've attended in the past couple of years. And just in within a year, you either match them and, you know, followers and were much higher in engagement. What do you think has attributed to that success? Because it's been quite rapid from an outsider perspective. <laughs> it. Thank you. I I take that as a huge compliment. So really, thank you. Um, I feel like it really happened fast. So this was actually August, end of August um, 
20 when I was like talking to a friend, Scott Taylor, the beta whisperer. We're just chatting, catching up. He's a friend I made on LinkedIn. And I'm like, maybe I should do a conference because I do these live events, you know, these 45 minute sessions. And he's like, yeah, maybe in a couple of years, you'll get your stuff together. I'm like, I'm going to do it this October. So it was like less than two months out. <laughs> so the next day I had a registration page and I'm like, guys, we're doing a conference. It's a four hour event. So that event had over 7,000 people signed up in less than two months. I had to go, I had to get speakers and we had sponsors. We had uh, giveaways, community partners. And I, I mean, I used to love attending conferences from some of those uh, that you didn't mention, um, but I'm assuming we're thinking of the same companies. And I love those events. I think they're very well run, very well put together, great speakers. And I think I was inspired by that. I always thought I will run my own events, but I think COVID expedited it for me because in my mind, I would have run an in-person event, right? Because those were the ones that I attended. But then I figured, why can't I just do a virtual event, have it hosted on LinkedIn, which is almost free because all I have to do is pay for the streaming platform and then have an unlimited amount of attendees. We had over 30,000 people watch the session, um, even though only 7,000 signed up. And it opens up the doors because anyone can just hop in and out of the sessions. It's live and you get that real engagement Whereas I think a lot of other companies right now are putting out virtual events, but for the most part, they're pre-recorded or most of the sessions are pre-recorded. And I understand why, right? It's, it's not easy to do this perfectly like we're doing right now, Sadie. <laughs> <laughs> because glitches happen, lights go out, dogs bark, right? My, my kids may or may not come in, things can happen. And I understand the worry, but I think to answer your question about why I think it's been successful and like, grew so fast, I think is that authenticity and that live component and the fact that people can actually engage live by just leaving comments on any social media platform that they use and it all kind of gets pulled in and we try to take live questions and it's more of like a fun or I try to make it a fun data party than a conference because you see some of the most you know famous people out there giving their talks um, and the, the talks are typically limited to about 10 minutes so they're lightning speed talks, which, which also helps because if you're listening to someone who is, see, I just jinxed it because yeah, now it's like yeah. a fire truck passing by. Yeah. This is because it's live, you know? <laughs> so yes. So the engagement is, um, is higher because we, we try to make it as fun as possible and, and take those live questions. Awesome. Yeah. One of the key words you mentioned there was authenticity. And I think this has come up a couple of times now we've talked about it. And I think everyone knows, yes, it's beneficial to be your authentic self at work. And we had a LinkedIn coach come on and talk on the podcast and was saying like, hey, just talk how you would to someone at a conference. Like you're not just going to share business only things. Like you're going to talk about what you did on the weekend. Like it's okay to be your whole self on LinkedIn too, but that's a struggle still for a lot of people to be their authentic self. So how have you overcome that, especially to wide audience? I mean, you have thousands of people tuning in and you're okay with a fire truck going by or a kid interrupting, like, how do you accept that and you have the courage to move forward? 
I think this is going to turn dark, but we're all going to die, Sadie. So who cares? Who cares if the fire truck passed by, right? Also, I try to control the things I can. Like I locked my door so they, they might knock, but they won't actually get on camera. Um, I can't control the fire truck, but I, you know, I do what I can. I keep the windows shut. So it at least mitigates the sound a little. But other than that, if it's something that I can't control, I normally try not to stress out too much about it. Well, because, you know, you can't help it anyways. Um, but I think the thinking about that, you know, life is short and not really caring about the little things um, and really just having fun. People, I think it comes through when you're too serious. People tend to tune out if you're just overly professional and everything is so perfectly or orchestrated um, or you're reading a script, you know, something like that. People are like, OK, I could just watch this later. But if you're being you, people think it's more of like talking to a friend and they're having a good time. And it's just that that human factor that um, is missing in a lot of places right now. Yeah, I'm not gonna make this about death podcast. <laughs> last night I was talking with my fiance and I just told him, I was like, if I died tonight, if I didn't wake up tomorrow, I would be okay. Because like, I just feel like every day right now I'm living my life to the fullest. And he's like, don't say that. You're gonna like, you wanna die all these things. I was like, no, you're missing the point. Like. I think there's more for me left to do in this world, but it's nice to go to sleep at night knowing that like, hey, if I did die today, because life is short and you never know, yeah. like I put my best foot out there, told the people I care about, I loved them. Yeah. And just holding on to something bigger than the little things of like, oh, your camera was off or you shared the wrong screen or you were on mute that we beat ourselves up about all the time. Yes. And you'll be surprised how little people care about the fire truck or the wrong slide that was up or the, the wrong mic that you used. People, you know, they'll still get the value out of it. I've, I've had a lot of things go wrong on my live sessions and those were some of the best sessions. People remember it. People feel bad for you. And they're like, oh my God, keep going, Kate. We can still hear you. <laughs> like, okay, well, let's keep this, let's keep this party going. So I think people are attracted to authenticity and just humans. So one of the questions that came up from our community when um mentioned that it was going to have you on the podcast was how do you do it all? So you've written four books. You've had almost like a whole nother lifetime of career in risk management and built a company there and blog and sold it. My guess is it has something to do with that. Um, coming over, as you mentioned, to America in the fourth grade and always feeling behind. But is there another secret you have to getting it all done? Do you have any productivity hacks? What's your secret sauce? Yeah, I think productivity hacks, uh, I'll start with my schedule. Um, I wake up usually around 5 a.m. So that gives you just so much more time. And you might think, well, I stay up late, right? But staying up late, I've tried both. I've tried the staying up late and I tried the waking up early. I tend to make poor decisions when staying up late and good decisions when waking up early. Because you're not going to binge watch Netflix and drink beer at 5 a.m., <laughs> but you might do that in the evening where you're like, eh, screw this. I'm just going on, you know, TikTok or something and just waste time. But when you're up at 5 a.m. and everyone's still sleeping, especially I have kids. And when they were younger, that was usually my most productive time when they were asleep. Now you could just, you know, give them iPads or go tell them to go swimming or something and they can occupy themselves. Um, but I've sort of gotten used to that. And that gives me another couple of hours of focus time, at which point I can sort of 
manage my own schedule. Now, this was a lot tougher when I had a full-time job and I was trying to do the social media stuff and the kids were little and there was just much more going on. At this point, like you mentioned, living your best life, I am having a blast, right? I, I manage my own company, my own time. My kids have been home since March, 2020 and they're actually gonna start going back to school this September. If all goes well, I hope that's going to be great. It's been over a year and a half, I think. Yeah. So it's been a long time that they've been home. So I think that's going to help me. But what I typically tell people when they ask me, how do you do all this stuff is I actually like all this stuff. So mm -hmm. I love going live on LinkedIn. I love social media. I love engaging with content on LinkedIn and posting content and just making friends with people in this space. And when you're having fun doing something, it really does not feel like work. I know there's this quote out there, you know, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. It really feels like that. I feel like, wow, I'm just so lucky. Even less uh, yesterday, I was sitting on the porch with my husband. He's like, so what do you actually do all day? <laughs> He's like, I you go running once in a while, whenever you want. He's like, what do you, what do you do? And I'm like, yeah, it's fine. You don't have to. <laughs> like, let's not question it too much. It's, uh, I love it. Um, but yeah, it really doesn't look like I'm working and it doesn't, um, it doesn't feel like I'm working. Yeah, I get, I got that same comment last night too. This is pre the death comment in terms of like, well, Sadie, you kind of have the dream job. So I'm like, you know, I, I do actually, so you could too. But I think you, you make a really good point, right? A lot of other people may look at it like work, but it, for you, it's just, I'm doing what I enjoy. Yeah. And I think the hard part, though, is you can't compare yourself to Kate, because what Kate may enjoy may not be what you enjoy. And you have to find that yourself. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure people will, say, will feel like it's miserable to go live three times a week. They're like, oh, God, please don't don't do it. You know, back in school and they're like, who's going to volunteer to give a presentation? Not everyone's hand went up. Right. Not everybody wanted to go up there and present. And I think this is similar where if this is something you truly love, then then you'll love doing it. But if not, then you've got to think and uh, internally of what you're good at, what you want to do. Definitely. So I'd love to know what's next on the horizon um, for Dedicated, for you. Obviously, the book's coming out. Um, so maybe you can tell us a little bit about when we can expect to see that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of new things. I have a new offering called the Dedicated Takeover, which is essentially a LinkedIn live session that live streams on YouTube and other platforms, but I'm not there. So this is my attempt at scaling the business where I don't have to be there when people go live, but also it gives the reins over to the, the clients, the vendors, the, the sponsors, whatever, um, to host their own sessions. So we had one session with Data Robot earlier. Um, few weeks ago, we have one coming up with TIPCO end of July. So it's, it's very interesting. People seem to be into that. So that's, that's one piece of news. The, the other, the big one is the dedicated expo is coming up on October 5th, which is another free conference. This time it's a one day event. I went from doing a one day event to three days to two days now back to one day. I think it's just easier for people to commit to doing, um, to coming in for a one day session versus knowing they have to come back the next day. Uh, full disclosure, it's easier for me too, knowing I can just batch <laughs> and just not think about it the next day. I'm like, okay, I'm done, done, you know, not like I'm done and then I have to do it again. It takes a, a lot of energy and a lot of stress just doing this for, you know, four hours. 
So that's the other piece of news. And then the book, so the Color for Data Storytelling book is hopefully going to come out end of this year. If not, it's going to be early next year, but I'm really actively working on getting that together. It's a, a little bit different than my prior books because those were more compilations of interviews. Um, this one is more technical, not overly technical, but it's, you know, how do you use color properly to tell a data story? I think it's super important and I have not seen a book on this topic. It could be because people simply don't care, but we're going to find out when I launch the book and see if people want it. Uh, it seems like some people care, so there, there should be a need, but those are some of the, the new things to expect. Yeah, I definitely care about this book because I recently got into art and, and studying color theory. And oh. so I would love to know kind of, you know, how does this color theory and all of that play into the book? And I almost feel like you could hit both audiences, some with some artists and some with some data people. So I, I think it will be a success. I, I hope so. Thank you. Awesome. Well, there are lots of ways to connect with Kate. Um, we'll have all of her social links in the in the um, bio of the podcast. But again, please check out the Dedicated Expo on October 5th. Um, definitely check out some of the LinkedIn Lives and the, the Dedicated Takeovers. And then we're all anticipating your new book. So thank you so much for joining us, Kate. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me.